coming up. The jobs market is slowing down. What does it mean for the economy? What does it mean for the stock market? What does it mean for the Fed? This is the Money Beat Podcast. Bringing the world to your ears. Award-winning reporters. Original insights. Now, from the newsroom of the Wall Street Journal, Money Beat. I am Paul Vigna, along with Stephen Grosser, Telus Demos, and Maureen Farrell. We are going to talk about the jobs market. We are going to talk about the IPO market. We're going to talk about the stock market. Uh, the first question I want to put out to everybody, and I just want a yes or no answer. Have you gotten any pumpkins yet? No. 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 Uh, Does pumpkin my... spice count? <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll accept that. Okay. We will accept that. I had pumpkin ice cream the other day. It was wonderful. You did. I'm a big apologist for pumpkins and fall and pumpkin spice and the whole thing. I love it, and none of your cynicism can ruin it for me. <laughs> uh, we got a pumpkin this weekend. Okay, we got a pumpkin. Nice. Uh, you know, Decorative doing, gourds. Doing our, doing our best to help the farming sector by buying up some pumpkins at this time of year. Uh, maybe farmers, though, are the only ones... Who are uh, whose demand is in labor right now? After Friday's jobs report, Friday's jobs report, Stephen Grosser was, was non-farm, non-farm, right, right. <laughs> uh, the the non-farm payrolls report, pretty much a dog across the board. Yeah, no, I mean there there was very little to get excited about. I mean, you know, it is wage was down, revisions were down. Um, you know, it, it, there was a real slowdown in hiring um, that took place um, in the last three months, and. That is throwing a wrench uh, into, you know, the Fed's decision to raise rates and when to, be, to basically normalize. Um, it's something we've been waiting a long, long, long time ago. I mean, you know, there's a little bit of Groundhog Day, I feel, for you and I, Paul, who've been doing this podcast for a long time. I mean, the big question for us is when was, you know, when was the Fed going to begin tightening? And it still hasn't, you know, started its tightening. Right. I, I, would, I would like to say... Uh before I bring Maureen and, and tell us into this, I want you guys in this. I, I would like to say quite proudly that I have been banging the drum on the wage thing for years. And everyone kept saying, oh, wages, they're just about to take off. They're just about to take off. They're just about to take off. They have yet to take off. And, and that is a serious, to me, that is a very serious sign of just how languid this economy remains years after the, supposedly the recession ended. Supposedly the Fed had measures in, in place to get everything moving again. Uh, we still don't seem to have what they, they call that that that, that uh, escape velocity. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Marine Frank. <laughs> no, it, it, I mean, it, it shows how bad, you know, and we, we've talked about this before, in my opinion, you know, the financial crisis was, how deep, you know, it went. And, you know, at some point, it's not about the monetary policy it's about you know the confidence within the private you know sector i mean you know companies need to feel emboldened to you know hire to you know uh, increase wages and things like that and and it's just you know i mean the scars of the financial crisis right the, you well know, seven and, years and look, later i mean, still I mean exist. look what companies are doing right are they going out and they are are they hiring wildly are they doing are they taking this money look they they, they have money on their books They've issued a lot of debt to get more money, uh, and they're using it to buy back stock, to buy market share, to, to buy companies in their sector. I mean, you're not seeing a lot of – you're not seeing these companies put a lot of faith into growth. And we keep on hearing of more massive job cuts, right? I mean, every right. few days, whether it's an energy company or an industrials company, we're still right. hearing of or big a tech company or somebody, company yeah. job cuts out there. Yeah. Well, that's what – heading into earnings season, I think we're going to be looking at, at more of the same, which is that – companies aren't actually doing that great, that they've squeezed all that they can out of 
profitability gains that come from job cuts, uh, you know, from gains that come from adding more scale. That is like buying another company in its sector. So I think what the what the what the Fed has has orchestrated here by keeping rates low is that they've been focused on the jobs number, right? Which is something that maybe they have less control over than it appears. Because what they have certainly done is stimulated this incredible boom in companies uh, buying each other, in companies going public, in people taking financial risks, uh, that is in terms of, you know, crazier kind of fixed income things, people buying into crazy growth companies, pumping up the price of technology, startups, and this and that. But it isn't actually translating into job creation. And that mechanism may just be broken because of changes in technology. Maybe you can grow your business without adding more people. You know, there are so many different things that go into the jobs picture that I think our focus on it has blinded us to all these other things kind of going on. And we assume that they're good things, right? Oh, startups are getting funded. M&A is happening. But at the same time, they could be evidence of just a giant risk bubble that is jobless. And so we're back where we started even before the financial crisis, back coming out of like 9-11, which is where we had this like great economic growth and no job creation. And that may just be where we've ended up again. But I mean, and, and to your point, I, I mean, I really do think that it has shown the limits of monetary policy. You know, I think coming into the financial crisis, you know, there was a belief that monetary policy could smooth out everything. You know, we weren't in, you know, we, recessions wouldn't be that deep, you know, you know, we, the Fed would save us. And to be honest, I mean, the, you know, the Fed can only do so much to stimulate the economy. You know, at some point it has to be, you know, companies hiring people and the virtuous cycle, you know, taking hold. Well, and, and not to get too political, but like the who, who is us, right? It certainly did. Like the Fed certainly cushioned the the feeling oh, of yes. the cycle oh, for yeah. owners mm-hmm. of capital, right? I mean, it's been a tremendous right. success for owners in of that capital, regard, yeah. right? But if it just seems like there's a disconnect between being focused on the labor, on on, on labor, on the employment rate, while you know, knowing that that the biggest impact you have are on owners of capital, how how is it that that you're measuring the effect of the effectiveness of the policy with labor when really all of the impacts are being felt by capital? It just seems like, you know, n- not not even coming at it politically, but just saying that 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 mechanism just doesn't make sense. But I mean, the bigger question, and and I just want to bring this back to sort of the stocks, is you know, the Fed keeping interest rates this low and not you know and keeping it pinned to the floor means where else are you going to invest, put your money? And, and that's why we've seen since the start of October, you know, stocks have gone up. Yeah, well, you know, uh, bonds have not had a bad year. I don't know if you guys, mm-hmm. guys have noticed. It's October. Bonds, uh, high-yield bonds have not had a good year. But, uh, you know, t- treasuries have not had a bad year. It has not been a bad year if you've been a safe investor. Well, it's been a bad year in the sense that you're not making any income. But your principal has at least been protected. Yeah, right. Well, it's, it's a bad year if you're investing in, in risk. I mean, the S&P is down. The Dow is down. You know, that, that's the other thing. I almost feel like the stock market, you could make the argument, really, that the stock market stepped off the wily Coyote ledge last October and they just haven't noticed it because they were suspended animation for most of this year until August when they realized, oh, there's not a lot of growth. Oh, and now now everyone's concerned about profit growth, right? Earnings season is coming up. Now people are talking about it. There has not been profit growth for a long time, and no one's been talking about it. Nobody cared for the longest time. Oh, there hasn't been a lot of GDP growth. No one cared for the longest time because they were focused on maybe one or two numbers and what the Fed was doing. 
No, they were expecting, you know, the economy to pick up. Right. They mm-hmm. were expecting, you know, you know, the, the conditions to be ripe for the Fed to start take, you know, and start raising rates and the economy to be willing to step in and fill that void. And the reality is that hasn't happened. I mean, once again, we had another first quarter of dismal, you know, or not dismal growth. You know, the economy pulled back. Um, and, you know, then we're playing catch up. I mean, you know, the rest of the year. It's, wow. it's you know. Uh, you know, we're actually at a, We just spent eight minutes to get to a place that would make a great conversation, but we have to cut it off because we have to take this break. And then we're going to come back and we're going to go to TELUS's specialty, the initial public offering market. Coming soon, all new podcasts from the Wall Street Journal, including Your Money Matters, all week long, Heard on the Street. I'm Alex Frangos. Hi, I'm Miriam Gottfried with Heard on the Street. Be sure to tune in to our podcast where we talk about financial issues. The latest on global investing. The Chinese economy. Stocks and bonds. The biotech industry. Companies and the latest things going on. All over the world. Your Money Matters from the Wall Street Journal. Ambition comes with earbuds. Now. From the newsroom of the Wall Street Journal, Money Beat. Uh, tell us, Demos, I want to buy a hot stock, man. I want to buy something that's that's fresh, that's upcoming, that's new, that's, you know, with it, that's happening, that's going to give me some upside. What, what do you got for me? What's well, in the IPO market, my well, friend? Well, that, that sounds like a great idea, Paul, but you, you've missed the opportunity <laughs> because you are not a venture capital investor who could invest in a company privately. Uh, what's happened is that all the hot stocks were already bought. You're too late. You've, you've asked the question a year too late, um, and now what you're is going to have really, to buy— Is it really that bad? It is that bad. Uh, you're going to have to buy that same company once it's kind of a little bit broken down, and it has to go public. That's pretty much what's happening in the world of hot stocks, is that if you're an Uber, an Airbnb, transformative, amazing, tremendous companies, uh, you've already missed your opportunity to buy them on the way up. What is going to happen is that at some point they're going to no longer be able to raise money privately— or they're going to hit some inflection point where they kind of need to boost their brand and, and, and get more more people buying their product so they go public as some sort of marketing kind of effort. And that's when they'll kind of be slowing down a little bit, sort of hitting the skids, you know, some of the, the inevitable things that happen to a hot company. You know, not every day is up, up, up. So that's what you're going to buy, be buying in the IPO market. And so all these companies, so, so the, comp- the, the IPOs that are on deck at the moment – uh, you know, you've got uh, Pure Storage, which is like a very cool flash storage company, but they have tons of there's tons of competition in that world. Um, and you know, th- there's another company that they compete with that's going public probably in the next month or two. Then you've got Square, which again was a, a tremendously Jack interesting Dorsey's comp- company. Jack Dorsey's other company. Yeah, his other company. Um, although you know, it's like uh, who, who's the other wife and who's the you know n- nobody knows yet. Um, so you've got Square, which was a super cool company. They had the the little dongle that allowed, like, you know, yoga studios to take credit cards. Very cool. But that happened a couple of years ago. Right. The people who invested in that sort of upswing were in there back then. Now you're looking at a company where they're competing with 10 different people who are doing that. They're trying to make loans to people, competing with those other people making loans. So, again, I'm not saying it's a bad company, but if you're looking for that rocket ship phase, you've missed it already. So that's 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 where we are in the IPO market. The IPO market is a place you go for, like— the same kinds of companies that you might buy in the public market. And that, by that nature, the IPO suffers because people look for big discounts at, in IPOs, right. right? And the discount is usually okay because the company's going up so much, they're okay to give you a little bit of a haircut on their like great future profitability. However, if the company's already kind of in a mature state, 
they're you know investors are now asking for some giant haircut off of what they would already trade at in the public market, and so things are kind of stuck. Investors want big discounts. Companies don't want that discount. Well, the other thing too is, I mean, there's been a hot secondary market. So I mean, like they're also whether they're mature companies or not, they've also been bid up in the private market. I mean, the valuations we're talking about for some of these private companies are is sky high. I mean, much higher than, you know, Google. I mean, you know, Facebook was the first one to really, I think, achieve that kind of secondary market valuation. And the other question, though, I, you know. Yeah, was that a question, Stephen Grosser? That was, was a comment. That, that was a comment. That was an intelligent observation. But yeah. I would also, you know, Maureen and Telus have written about this. Um, how many IPOs, IPOs that have come, you know, or companies that come public in recent years have now are now trading below their their IPO price. I mean, you know, we, we we added it up the other day, and there there are at least I think ten or eleven companies that are currently priced below the last place where they raised money privately, and that's just among the sort of hot kind of tech, comp- tech internet software type companies. Um, we haven't even really looked that deep into biotech companies, which has been the super hot market. Right. And you know, there the other day, Maureen and I wrote about a company that priced under its private round there, which is very scary because biotech has just been a shooting upwards rocket for a while. Um, And it seems like the latest trajectory, it seems like what we were seeing a little bit earlier this year were these companies that were going up, 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 up for um, a few weeks, a month, two months, and then starting to go and break their IPO price, starting to go down and stay there. But it seems like last quarter, when we looked at the data at the end of the quarter, a lot broke their IPO price very quickly or didn't even get, I mean, they, they priced there, not even looking at private rounds. But it seems like they're just going down much more quickly now. So here's what here's what the new like big problem for the IPO market is is that with the stock market having sold off a little bit, multiples having compressed somewhat for existing public companies. Investors already have companies that they follow in the public market that that are cheap now to buy. And at the same time they're not getting more cash into the fund, so every time they buy a new stock, they have to sell an old stock. And so when they look at an IPO, they have to say do I like this more than I like the opportunities I see now to buy things more cheaply in the public market? I'm not getting I'm not getting new money into the fund where I can just okay I'll go spend that on the IPO. So investors are really having to ration their capital a little bit more in the equity market, and that's making it much much tougher for them to decide to take a flyer on an IPO. They're going to be looking for the same discounts they see in the public market. You know, you you, you guys mentioned you mentioned Uber, and they have a huge valuation, and everybody knows that. And, and I think about some of these other companies like Facebook that you know Zuckerberg didn't want to go public; he held on to it for so long. Has there been a fundamental shift in the way corporations go about raising money? I mean, it used to be a pretty – it used to seem that you went public pretty fast. You got out there. Even – I mean, not even well, not even talking about the dot-com boom, but, like, the idea was you wanted to get into the public markets. It seems like people don't really want to get into the public markets. And moreover, they don't have to get into the public markets. I mean, has there been some kind of fundamental shift there? Well, I think I mean I will say one thing though I mean like going into the dot com boom. Well, that was a be, different. I mean you know, like, no, but beast. I mean a lot of what you're talking about is I mean I think a product of what we saw from the dot com boom and the years after. I mean a lot of companies prior to that actually waited till they were somewhat profitable. They weren't going with you know uh, you know they were they they saw profits and were probably in existence around six years. Well, I think th- th- there has been something of a fundamental shift, and I think well. There's been a shift, and I think part of it is propped up by what we were just talking about, cheap money, right, which makes it easier for people to take 
kind of riskier bets. Uh, so therefore, you know, you're more willing to put $50 million into a private company where you have no liquidity yet, but you think someday in the future your $50 million will be worth $500 million, right? So I think, I think that has enabled companies to tap into those private markets and avoid going public for a while. Um, but at the same time, you have this weird dynamic where companies are actually getting bigger even faster than they used to because, you know, you can put an app in the app store and suddenly right. you can have 10 million people using it, right. right? You can suddenly become a really big company. And what that has done is not exactly what you would expect. You would expect it to be like, oh, well, then that then it must be easy to kind of create a pretty profitable company right away because your costs of distributing are so low. So therefore, you know, you should have within a year or two a company that might be ready for an IPO. But instead, what that has convinced people to do is say, okay, now we know how fast we can grow. Let's see how gigantic we can get. Own this market, yeah. right? Make it so that, like, okay, if I'm making a dating app, how can I put every other dating app out of business and then I'll go public, right? So the idea is you won't go public as, like, oh, kind of a growth stock. You'll go public as, like, wow, a must-own mega superstar kind of company. And for all the sort of disaster that Facebook's IPO was, it still went public as an $80 billion market cap yeah. company. And, you know, maybe they mispriced the deal a little bit and sort of misread the demand and all that. But it still ultimately was a stock that, like, everyone had to talk about and to own rather than just being, like, a little a little tech, yeah. a little and, hot and then, tech stock. And, and, and to, to honestly, swing it, wait, wait, to swing it around a little bit, I mean, does it, does it change the M&A market at all that you have – I mean, do I, and the answer may be no. Does it matter? Does it change the the, the, the nature of the M and A market? Does it put more pressure on companies because there's there's less public companies to go out there? I mean, I, I'm just I mean, asking. If you look the, now for all the you know, as much as we talk about tech IPOs, the tech M and A market is thriving, and yeah. most most young companies sell themselves. Right. Growing young companies sell themselves to the big tech companies. It's a very slim minority that go out there and yeah. have the pub public uh, Some of them want to sell themselves, too. Exactly. Because they're getting... Before they're getting anybody huge. asks them if they're actually profitable. That's another good point. Yeah. They're getting some big ticket numbers. I mean, we're right. seeing tons of, you know, a lot of billion-dollar tech M&A deals for these growing yeah. companies. That is where we have to leave it. Thank you for listening to the Money Beat Podcast. I am Paul Vigna. We will be back next week. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.